You're listening to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ, taken from the weekly homilies of interim pastor Michael Landsman. So, last week we looked at the story of the children of Israel in Exodus 32, which is reading continues on that we, that we just heard, and the worship of the golden calf. We talked about how they knew nothing as slavery and they were suddenly given freedom, but how the habits and practices of their heart were shaped by their experiences in slavery. As a result, when hit with the unknown, they responded along the path that they had been shaped by, their experiences, by the habits and practices of the heart that they had formed in Egypt. And we talked about how God rescued them through the Red Sea. He delivers them, remember, through the water. And we talked about how God has rescued us from slavery to sin and death through the waters of baptism to our promised land, new life in Jesus Christ. And how, like the children of Israel, we are unlearning those habits and practices that have been shaped by our experiences to our slavery to sin and death. And we are relearning to orient our hearts towards God by, by worship. And we talked about how we're not merely th- uh, thinking beings, but we're also experiential uh, beings. And we talked a little bit about who we are, what we love. And we talked about how what we love has been tainted by the world and by the culture around us and by our sometimes going back into sin. And so we talked about how our loves have to be redirected and reoriented towards God, and we need to relearn the habits and practices of the heart that help bring that to pass. And I asked you a few questions, if you remember. I asked you to ask yourself three questions. What do I want or what do I love? How does what I love affect the shape of my life? And lastly, how does what I love affect my worship of God? And I gave that to you as your homework so by show of hands, how many of you did your homework? I'll close my eyes so I can't see who. <laughs> so hopefully you did your homework and asked yourself those three questions, or at least one of those three questions. What do I want? What do I love? And today we continue along this, along this theme. And the title of the sermon today is, I don't know, in case you're, you're interested. So I asked you last week to ask, what do I want, or what do I love? First John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We're going to unpack this, this verse a little bit. A couple of years ago, though, there was a terrible movie that came out. It was awful. You should never see it. It's called The Notebook. And, and there's this one scene where the guy is having this confrontation with this woman that they've been estranged from. And so he asks her, what do you want? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, what do you want? And she says, I don't know. And he's like, what do you want? He's like, I don't know. It's like husbands and wives, when you ask each other, what do you want to do for dinner? Do you want to go somewhere? Do you want to eat in? What do you want? I don't know. Do you want Chinese? I don't know. Do you want Mexican? I don't know. Pick something. But in this, in this movie, she does know, right? Because she's torn. She's having this difficulty. She wants to be with him. But she's also wanting to kind of be with, with somebody else. But 
we know who she wants to be with, even though she says, I don't know, because all of her actions that she takes in the movie points her toward renewing the relationship that she had with, with the guy she's having to fight with in the rain. Spoiler alert if you've never seen the movie. What do you want? Like we asked last week. Oftentimes we respond with, I don't know. I don't know. But you may have said, oh, no, I do know. I actually love this. So sometimes it's kind of up in the air. We think we know what we love. We think we know what we want. But oftentimes we kind of don't. And before we go any further, I should probably say here that when it says, do not love the world or the things of this world, it's probably important to note that when he says that, he's not talking about the physical world. He's not talking about the created order. He's not saying, don't love nature. He's not saying, don't love when you go on that hike to the top of the mountain and you can see all of the valley. He's not saying, don't love that. He's not saying, don't Love what God has given us for a good life. Don't love good food. Don't love good drink. Don't love good friendships and and, and things like that. He's not saying don't hate the world, the natural world. What he's saying is don't hate, not the world as in the physical world, but he's saying don't hate the, the ways of living that have set themselves up in opposition against God. So when you're reading the New Testament, particularly you see the word world. He's not saying that the world is bad. Everything outside of us is completely bad. There's this kind of spiritual thing that we can't see yet that's good. And one day all of this bad will be gone so the new can finally show up. That's, that's a dichotomy that the New Testament doesn't make. When it talks about the world, it's talking about the powers and systems that have put themselves in, op- in opposition against God. Okay? It's probably worthwhile saying that because people have read this verse and said, don't love the world, and they've retreated from the world. But as Christians, we're not to retreat from the world. We're called to engage the world while understanding that we are not of the world. We are not of the systems and authorities and the powers that have put themselves up against, against God. But also when we talk about not loving the world, and we ask this question about what do we love, if we say, I don't know, sometimes we can fake an answer. You ever heard of somebody talking in Christianese? Have you ever heard that phrase, that saying? Like, sometimes as Christians, we have a way of speaking that's different from what, how people actually really talk. So if you say to somebody, hey, how you doing? Has anyone ever said, I'm blessed? I mean, that's great. It's good that you're blessed, but in conversation with a regular person who might not be a believer, believer, you say to them, hey, how you doing? What are they going to probably say? I'm fine. I'm good. Things are great. So when we're asked this question, what do we love? And we say, I don't know. We know as Christians, though, what we should say, I think. We know what we should say. We can kind of fake it by throwing like a Christian phrase out there. But... Oftentimes what we say what we want or what we love isn't true because our daily life and our habits point towards something else. Our habits have formed our love so that what we think we love and what we really love are different. But our faith calls us to confront that and to deal and to deal with it. So last week we talked a little bit about 
finding ourselves doing something without thinking. Does anybody remember that? Just a little bit. And I was thinking a little bit about this the other day and as I was preparing this. And I remember a few weeks ago, I was driving to Emmaus. Well, I was supposed to be driving to Emmaus to record a podcast that I do with a friend of mine. So I'm in the car. I'm like, I'm going to Emmaus. I start driving and I just start thinking about life and thinking about things and what's going on. And I just kind of lose train of thought. Have you ever had that while you're driving or while you're doing something? And I found myself about halfway here to church to, to come into the office. And I was like, where am I? I'm like, I'm not even close to Emmaus. I'm on the way to the church. So then I had to, I had to quickly like, okay, where am I? Okay, I know that road. If I, if I turn here, I can get the 33. And so I got off and I found my way to Emmaus. But I had come almost well, about half of three quarters of the way here. But because I'm so used to driving here that when I was going somewhere else, I wound up on the way here. And that happens to you, it happens to, it happens to us all the time, but that's kind of an example of what I'm talking about here, about how we find ourselves doing things subconsciously without, without thinking. And this happens because I drive this route all the time. Many of you do too. And as I drive this route over and over and over again, it starts to become second nature to me. So that whenever I just start driving... I just might always just find myself here because y'all are so great and this is a great place. But I do it so often that it just kind of becomes second nature. And it's the same with our loves and with our desires. Philosopher named James Smith, he says, he calls this rival liturgies. And he calls this rival liturgies because he says that liturgies are practices that shape our love and show what we really worship and what we really desire. What we really worship and what we really desire. I remember a few weeks ago, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, a few weeks ago, I, I, I had a, uh, I made a new friend and um, we were, I was doing a podcast with a friend of mine and we were talking about ministry. And one of the things he talked about was asking this question, like why, about, about serving God, asking this question about what do we love and practices that shape our lives and, and how, how does that happen? So he uses this interesting example. He, he is, his name is Steve. And he said, and, he, and forgive me, some of you are going to hate this example, but he used the example of a football team that we all know and love, the Jets, right? He uses this example of the Jets. So he says, when you're, if you're brought in a house that loves the Jets or Giants or Dallas or whatever, you know, you're garbed in Jets green, right? You wear your jersey with your favorite number of your favorite player. You go to the stadium. You never miss a game on TV. You're told from childhood that the Jets are the best team of all time. You're then told about the great Jets players of all time. You're told about Joe Namath and that amazing game that he played. And you're told about the great history of the Jets and where they came from. And this forms the love of the Jets, or the Giants, or Dallas, or whatever team that you support. And sports especially become such a big thing for us that many people use this then, or or this forms something that's very core to who they are. And many people orient their lives around sports. You don't necessarily even have to consciously decide as you get older to like the Jets in this example because you have been formed from a young age, to love the Jets. 
or whatever team. And I'm not just picking on sports. This happens with other things too. Movies, right? If you're told from a young age, Star Wars is the best like, movie of all time, and you're, you, got, you have a parent that teaches you wisely and tells you to ignore the first of the prequels and then to start with number three maybe, and then you can work your way through, you're brought up to love Star Wars. And so you just love Star Wars because it's been formed, it's been shaped in you. Now think about that, how everything in our culture immerses us as people into rival liturgies, into rival values, into rival loves, which grab our hearts and drive us to what we've been trained by, those rival liturgies to love. So to answer this, we have to learn how to discern what we are being confronted with and dragged into on a daily basis by all of these liturgies outside of us that are constantly trying to direct us towards themselves rather than towards God. So in this reading that we just did, I think St. John gives us the way to see through these rival liturgies and practices. So he notes that the things of this world are passing away, but we still run after them. But I think if we use these three desires that he gives us here, I think we can learn to see through what the world is offering, and we can learn to not embrace the practices and habits that the world is trying to form in us. So he gives us three, right? The first one he calls the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh. This is an easy one, right? Lust, sensuality, things that stir us up at a deep level. And we can find these in video games and in certain movies and TV shows and even printed materials like books, things that stir up our lust. Then we have the desire of the eyes, greed, seeing something that you want, envy. That person has the brand new Lincoln Mark whatever. I want that car. I should have that car. They have a big house. My house isn't as big. Why shouldn't I have a house like that? Envy. Avarice. This drive to get more, usually at the sake of somebody else. Think of Satan's temptation of Jesus on the mountain, right? He says, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. I will give you the kingdoms of the world if you worship me. This reckless pursuit of materialism, money, possessions, cars, status, all of these things, brothers and sisters, they, they, they grab our hearts. But St. John reminds us these things are all passing away. These things are all transient. Then the pride of life, vainglory or boastfulness in one's own prowess, trust and instability of earthly things. Contempt of God's divine law, divine, divine commandments. The desire of the flesh, the desires of the life, uh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three things that will help us to train ourselves to see what we are trying to be pulled towards by the powers that are in opposition to God. Whatever we interact with that is not of God will have something of these three desires attached. And they often work in conjunction with one another. So we need to learn to read, in air quotes, right? Read what culture is throwing at us. Because if we can, then we can see how these temptations have formed us. And then we can begin that process of relearning what the Christian faith teaches us how to live. 
And so thinking about this, the desire of the eyes, the desire of the flesh, and the pride of life, I'm reminded of Jesus' own temptation in the Gospels. So when Satan comes to him the first time, he asks him to command the stones to be made bread. And what does Jesus say? He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 which says this, and he humbled you and he let you hunger and fed with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. And then Satan says, he takes him to the top of the temple, throw yourself off. And then Satan does something really, really, oh, I can't say that word in a sermon. He does something uh, unexpected, shall we say, or very, very courageous, right? He quotes scripture to Jesus. Jesus quotes scripture to him, Deuteronomy 8.3. Satan quotes him, Psalm 91. It is written, throw yourself down, for he will bear you up, lest you dash your feet against the stone. He will give his angels charge over you. What does Jesus say? He quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. And then the third one, Satan says, like I mentioned earlier, brings him up and shows him all the kingdoms of this world. And he says, I will give you this if you will worship me. And what does Jesus say? Again, from Deuteronomy 6, he says, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. So when Jesus is confronted with these three temptations, when he's even tempted to put his trust and his worship into the slanderer into the devil, into Satan, Jesus says, no. He's able to see through because he's formed by Scripture. He's formed by the synagogue worship. He's formed by the Torah, which forms the basis of how Israel should relate to God and the laws governing them. He was formed by the Scriptures. He was formed by worship. And so... Thinking about that in conjunction with the readings that we heard today, Moses says to God on the mountain, he says, teach me that I may know you. And what does God say? My presence will go with you and will give you rest. And then we heard in 1 Thessalonians that God has marked us as his people so his message can ring out through us. God promises to be with us. God promises to go with us. God promises that his message will ring out through us. But before we can take part of that, before we, have to do, before we can do that, we have to go up the mountain like Moses did. He had to climb up to the top. We have to get there to see God. And so lastly today, I would, I would say to this, brothers and sisters, Begin then to ask yourself this question. And I'm not going to ask you about this next week, I promise. Ask yourselves this this question this week. How has the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, how have those desires shaped who I am? And how have those desires shaped what I love? And then do I love, based on that answer, what did I actually say that I love? And that's hard. That's really hard. But when we ask ourselves those hard questions in the presence of Almighty God, he will give us the strength to bear the answers that we come up with. And like what he said to Moses on the mountain, he will be with us. 
He will walk with us as we go through this process. He will not abandon us. And he will even show us, brothers and sisters, in the light of his glory, those things that he's asking us to lay down and those things that he's asking us to put on instead. I think we talked about it a few weeks ago, but St. Paul says to put on Christ, right? To clothe yourself in Christ. So ask yourself these questions this week. Cognizant of the fact, though, that God is with you, that God will not leave you, And God doesn't highlight these things in us to condemn us. When we ask these hard questions of ourselves, God isn't asking these questions of us to shame us. The reason why he asks us to ask these questions is so he can heal us. So we don't stay where we are. So those things that have have been malformed in us, God can then transform for his glory and for his purposes. So we can all partake of the healing that Christ's offer, that Christ offers to the entire world. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting, and as all holy good and life-giving spirits. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion's Stone United Church of Christ. We're located in beautiful North Hampton, Pennsylvania love for you to come worship with us. You can find us on the internet www.zionsstoneucc.com or you can find us on Facebook, Zions Stone UCC. God bless. Thanks for listening.